Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Chef Marco Canora. An innovative drive and appreciation for simple, satisfying food has always been a part of James Beard Award-winning Chef Marco Canora, found in everything from the seasonal nourishing food he serves at Hearth to the restorative, sippable bone broths of Brodo. After years working with and training under Danny Meyer and Tom Colicchio at Gramercy Tavern and Craft, Marco opened Hearth in the East Village of New York City in 2003 before the neighborhood was a culinary destination. In 2016, he reinvented the restaurant to reflect his change in diet and lifestyle. The menu redesign takes a fresh look and sharpened commitment to ingredient transparency and nutrient-dense, delicious food, featuring high-quality fats, grains milled in-house, sustainable local fish and meats, all influenced by Marco's Italian heritage. In November 2014, Marco kicked off America's Embrace of Bone Broth with Brodo, serving bone broth in coffee cups out of a side window at Hearth. From 2018 to 2020, Brodo Broth Shops expanded into Manhattan's Upper East Side and Upper West Side. In addition to shop expansion, Brodo is rolling out its products nationally with Whole Foods. Currently, Chef Kenora lives, cooks, and gardens with his wife and two children in Yonkers, New York. In the episode, he shares how to set up your kitchen to make cooking easier, some of the simple meals he makes on repeat, tips for making veggies more flavorful, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated, expensive, conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel overall kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this right now because outside of hosting this podcast, I spend my time helping people lose weight for good in both my group and one-on-one coaching programs. Unlike extreme restrictive diets that only provide short-term results, I help you master the skill of everything in moderation so you can finally lose 5 to 50 pounds permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and show up as the healthiest, happiest version of yourself. To learn more about my programs, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. All right, it's time to hear from Chef Kenora. Enjoy. I'm 
I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Chef Kenora. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm a huge, huge fan. Well, thank you for having me. I was thrilled when you reached out and, and um, you know, I, I love the messages you're spreading and I'm, I'm very uh, happy and proud to be a part of it. It's funny because there's certain guests I reach out to that kind of feel like moonshots, like oh, I don't know if they're going to get back to me. And you were one of them just because I admire your work so much. And I used to live in the East Village. And I then I lived in Olita and I would get Brodo every day, nice. almost, almost every day after school. But I was a teacher at the time. And it was like my special, instead of an afternoon coffee, it was like my afternoon bone broth. Um, so I just love your work so much and love everything you do. And can't wait to pick your brain today, especially since you have this awesome message about people getting back into the kitchen, which yeah. I am wholeheartedly on board with. Um, but I would love if you could just start by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a chef. Sure. Um, you know, I, I was a very lucky kid because I grew up in a household where, you know, the kitchen was truly the center of our home. And I grew up with a mom who cooked like crazy and we had a garden and this is like in the Hudson Valley here in, in New York. So it's just like 60 miles North of the city. Um, and you know, I was privy to growing zucchini and picking zucchini flowers and lettuces and, you know, and my mom was a great cook. I mean, she came from Luca in Tuscany and, um, so, you know, I was fortunate. My mom would make a zucchini frittata for dinner with a salad and everything came from the garden. And, you know, the growing season is short here. So we also did our share of shopping in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, at the local supermarket. But somehow um, we always, you know, my mom always found a way to get nutritious, wholesome dinners on the table. And, uh, you know, it really planted a seed for me it resonated with me. I loved everything about the wonderful act of like cooking and the sounds and the, and the, you know, the flavors and the aromas. And it just, it was an incredibly beautiful practice. The, the art, you know, the act of cooking um, and, you know, and then it tasted good to boot. So it was like, I really bought into it at a very young age and it kind of never left me. And here I am, you know, at 53 years old and like the entirety of my adult career has been around food and, and cooking and eating and feeding people. Such a cool image I got as you're describing your home centering around the kitchen. And I just, I feel like we've gotten away from that some or a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah a frightening, we're, yeah. And, it, and it's, 
and it's accelerating, which is very concerning to my mind. And I really, I really want to devote kind of many of my future years towards trying to spread the gospel of like, you know, why it's so important and why there's such a great return on investment around cooking. Cause I just think, um, there's not enough people preaching about the power and importance of it. Mm. I think it's on the Hearth website that it says you have a passion for delicious, simple, and healthful food. And I love those three adjectives. Um, simple. I'm all about the simple. <laughs> I like to tell people, you know, you don't have to spend hours in the kitchen every night making a meal for your family. You can, if you want, you can do that maybe on a Saturday or Sunday if you want, but on a Tuesday, it could be a 20 minute meal and it could still be delicious. And you say it could still be healthful, right? So could you share a bit more, like, why are those three words? Why are those part of your cooking philosophy? Um, well, look, now that I'm a parent and I have two daughters that I'm feeding regularly, you know, it's like, it's no joke to, you know, and then through COVID, you know, we were home for a while and it's like, you know, it's no joke to feed yourself or your family three meals a day, seven days a week. I mean, that's a lot, right? So, you know, there's a practicality around taking a simple approach because like you could, you could enjoy cooking as a hobby and dive deep and do things that take a long time. And I've been doing that my whole life. I've made a career out of it, but I think, you know, one of the things people at home need to understand is what you said, which is it doesn't need to be that way. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a way to approach cooking that is like low barriers of entry and keep it super simple. And I mean, even as a chef who's got, I've got skills in the kitchen, like I could bang stuff out pretty easily, but at home, like, we're blanching and sauteing greens with olive oil and garlic like three, four nights a week because it's different when you're, you know, you have to in your mind create a difference between, you know, feeding your family nourishing foods and cooking impressive dinners for guests. And sometimes I feel like that is a barrier for home cooks to start because they always they hold themselves to too high of a standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the word cook used to throw me. I used to say I was awful in the kitchen and I couldn't cook. Um, and then I met my husband and he was fantastic at just throwing things together. I think it was his years and years of watching Iron Chef, he <laughs> says. <laughs> yeah. And just experimenting and just doing it. You know, when you practice, you get better. Absolutely. And so he had no apprehension and I had all of the apprehension and just didn't think I could make anything but eggs and toast and the most basic stuff. And he would always just say to me, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, literally the worst that could happen is it doesn't taste that great. So we eat it or we don't, and then we move on, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was such a great, that stuck with me that he, the first time he said that, cause I was so intimidated to make something for him. And so I just started and I still don't think of myself as a great cook, but I am 10 times better today than I was 10 years ago. And I don't know, maybe it's the word 
cook even, or maybe that's intimidating to people. Or then also when I hear the term meal prep, that to me comes with a whole host of images of like spending an entire Sunday in the kitchen and prepping all these things. You know, I don't know if maybe these terms have been kind of hijacked and we now associate, like you said, fancy meals with the word cook or full days in the kitchen with the word meal prep. I don't know. I don't know what it is. What do you, what do you think? (laughs) I think everybody tells themselves their own different story and like they try to find excuses and whatever. And I, I, you know, to not cook because they, they say it's messy and I have to do the dishes or I have to shop or I have to meal prep. And, and I always like to bring up this idea of like, you know, and it, and it's not a fun concept, but it's like priorities, right? It's like, what, what are you going to prioritize? And, and thankfully over the last decade, there's been a lot of focus in health and wellness and like longevity and optimizing your health. And, you know, I think we have been fed a lie around convenience and everybody, uh, you know, and it's like you'll you'll watch a cooking show for three hours, but you won't get in the kitchen and touch the food yourself kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think like the act of eating and the decisions we make around what we choose to drink and what we choose to eat on a daily basis is like without question the biggest driver of your health. And mm-hmm. if that's true and and you want to kind of optimize your life, I kind of feel like, you know, through logic, that means you need to find the time and prioritize, you know, the act of cooking at home. I I just Mm -hmm. think there's, you know, I I just think it just makes logical sense and there's no way around it. And, And I would dare say that, you know, there's not only the return of the investment to your physiology and your health. But I think there's like a myriad of of benefits that go beyond your physiological health. And I think it's a time to not be in front of a digital screen. I think it's a time to, you know, connect with the people you love. Um, I think it's a time to, you know, I think it could be very meditative. So, you know, there's there's so many layers of benefit that come from uh, the act of cooking in your kitchen that it's just, I think it's foolhardy to not, uh, to go down that path. You brought up two big barriers to entry of, I don't have time and it creates a big mess. But if we just said a Tuesday night meal, you could put together in 20 minutes. So I, most people can find 20 minutes, right? It's like, especially if you cut down the screen time, like you're saying, or the scrolling, For just sure. a couple of minutes here and there. And then the mess part, I make a lot of meals using just our cast iron skillet or just a roasting pan. I mean, there's so many things if you Google one sheet, you know, sheet pan meal, right? Yeah. There's, you'll get a list of 30 you can make and you put everything on a sheet pan and put it in for however long and it's done. Totally. Um, I think another one is that healthy eating is too expensive or the ingredients are too expensive. Can you tackle that one? Um, yeah, again, like I, I, I don't believe that to be true. I think that there's, 
there's plenty of affordable options out there. Um, and, you know, look, I think outsourcing your cooking to a business that's in, in the business of making money, it's like they don't have your health in mind. So, so I think, um, you know, you take the power back by cooking for yourself and shopping for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this idea of, you know, one of my latest obsessions is like all this talk about um, uh, these hidden kitchens. What is it called? Um, oh, like cloud kitchens? Yeah, cloud kitchens. Like the proliferation of the cloud kitchen approach, it really kind of blows my mind because like I thought we were trending down a path of more transparency. And the notion mm. of like, getting your food from somewhere that's hidden <laughs> cooked by people that, you know, you don't know how they're being managed. Um, it just baffles my mind that that's like some kind of big future, wonderful thing. Um, anyway, I got sidetracked on what your original question was, which was the cost of cooking. Um, look, I think buying a whole chicken and figuring out how to break down that chicken and using the leftover bones, if you really started doing the math and you invested some of your own time and work that from an economical standpoint, there's no question that it's, that it's a better, it's a better, uh, you get more for your money with that approach without question. Right. Even, yeah, there's canned beans, let's say it could be very cheap, but then there's even bulk beans that are even cheaper. Yeah, for sure. And frozen vegetables too. Like I love yeah. frozen. I mean, it's, it's so easy. I mean, at home, you know, my wife, we have frozen, you know, we have frozen organic broccoli and we have Brodo all the time because like I have a lot of it. Um, and, and she basically, you know, two cups of frozen broccoli with two cups of broth and a knob of ginger and you boil it for five minutes and you blend it into this like beautiful, sippable, nourishing soup in the winter. And it's just, it's a no brainer. I mean, you just have to, you just need to think a little bit about it and make the decision to invest in it. And over, over a short amount of time, you will find hacks and you will find ways to make it be an efficient, cost-effective a healthful approach to like feeding yourself. I'm so glad you brought up frozen vegetables. We are huge fans in this house. <laughs> I say the best thing actually of moving to the West Coast is having a car and access to Costco. And yeah. they have incredible huge bags of organic frozen vegetables. Yep. Um, but one thing that I found working with a bunch of clients in nutrition coaching is someone will say, healthy eating is too expensive. And so then we kind of dive down that rabbit hole. But a lot of times I think people are buying things that they're, that they don't end up eating. So there's a lot of food waste. Mm. So it does feel very expensive if you're buying all of this fresh produce every week and it's just dying in the drawers of your refrigerator you're just throwing money away, right? You just like see that every week and then you see, oh, my grocery bill is $300 and I only used half of it or whatever. So things like canned beans or bulk, you know, bagged beans or 
uh, frozen vegetables, things that don't spoil very soon and yeah. are very cheap to begin with. I mean, we we don't spend a lot on groceries and we cook for ourselves the majority of the time. So there is a way to do it. And it's 100%. truly, I love how you said along the way, you find out little hacks and you do, and they're going to be unique for every household, but you've got to actually get in the kitchen and start making the things to figure out the hacks. You know, they're not going to just strike you. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, let's not forget, like, you know, cooking is a, is a, is a full circle holistic thing. And like part of cooking means managing your kitchen and part of managing your kitchen means shopping. And part of shopping means understanding what your pars are, you know, and like, sure, it's very intuitive and easy for me because I've been like running restaurant kitchens and that's like the game is managing that system. But it's like, there's a mini system to be managed in your home as well. And it's not only about cooking the food and cleaning the dishes, but it's also about, you know, getting better at shopping and knowing when to bulk up on something that's on sale and knowing how to, utilize your freezer and knowing and understanding, you know, I don't think you have to meal plan every single night, but like, you know, when we go shopping in the weekend, we kind of intuitively think about how many meals and we think about how many, you know, it's like, we're not going to buy 15 bunches of greens. We're going to buy, you know, maybe nine bunches because we do greens three nights a week and it's three bunches. And like, there's calculus that goes into you know, managing your home kitchen and that's part of cooking. And, and, and again, like it's about how you frame it. Now you could, you could frame that and say, Oh my God, what a burden. And it sounds so complicated and it's so hard, you know, but again, it's like, it's about what are you going to prioritize and what are you going to, what are you going to pay attention to? Uh, And hopefully you know, hopefully we can start convincing people that these are really, it's really worth the effort because it is effort. And like, I'm tired of like, you know, everything doesn't need to be framed around how can it be easy and cheap and convenient? I mean, easy, cheap, and convenient is what got us sick. (laughs) Mm. And it's like, you know, health and, you know, health and investing in your health like it or not, it requires some level of thought and attention and work. And like, and I'm sorry if you don't like that, but too bad. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I love how you're tackling the mindset part. It's like so exercise. Much- it's like, yeah, you can't, yeah. you know, it's like you can't go on the thing with the belt that shakes your fat and thinks that like you're going to, you know, that's a that, that's a convenient and easy way to exercise. It's like put a vibrating belt on your love handles. Like, sorry, like that mm-hmm. doesn't work. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, and buying fast, convenient, cheap food doesn't work to drive your health either. Right. I had a, a time management expert on, or a couple of them actually, but one of them said something that really stuck with me is if you find yourself saying, I don't have time for something, reframe it and say, that thing just isn't my priority right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about, like you're saying, if you're making actually your kitchen and 
this whole process of priority, then you're going to figure it out because anything that's a priority gets a lot of your attention. But it's when you start kind of putting it on the back burner, (laughs) um, then it's not your priority and then it's not going to get the time and attention it needs. And just like with everything, there's a learning curve and it's going to be harder at first. I love that you brought up fitness. I mean, there's so many analogies with that as well. It's going to be harder your first few times at the gym to lift the weights or, you know, do whatever you're doing, but it will get easier over time. You're going to learn proper form. You're going to get in the habit of getting there in the first place. I mean, it, everything does get easier, but you have to stick it out long enough yeah, you for that to happen. Yep. Right. Exactly. No question. I'd love to hear just, so you're talking about your kitchen um, in this way of it's not just the meal you're preparing, it's setting it up. What are some tips you have? You mentioned the greens. I love that. That's so easy, right? You just throw some greens what in a skillet with some olive oil and garlic. Yeah. And that takes Super five minutes. Simple. <laughs> yeah. What are some other, I don't want to call them hacks because we don't want to, you know, hack our way to healthy cooking, but some best practices, if you will, that you do that of things that are very quick and easy in your kitchen um, that could help remove maybe some of the barriers of entry for people if they feel like still overwhelmed by cooking several nights a week. You know, I think it's, you know, there's a term called mise en place in the the restaurant world. And it's like having everything in place. And I think it's like, look, you got to set up the tools for success. So, you know, I, I, I fantasize about doing a, a class where it's like, here's what you need to like have a functioning kitchen because one of the things I see most often is the pots are too small and the cutting board is tiny and the knives aren't sharp. And it's like, you need to set up for success. And that means having the right tools, having the right equipment, you know, not having a a cutting board that's the size of your iPhone. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like you try to do work on these tiny cutting boards and it's like, yeah, it's frustrating and, and, and then it, it turns you off to the process. So it's like, invest some time, invest some money in setting up your kitchen for success. Um, and, and um, so that, that's one of my, that, that's what I would say first. The other thing that I do at home, um, and it, it sounds simple, but it's like, when I cook something in a pan, that pan, whether it's like sauteing some steaks or making some chicken thighs or whatever it is, pork chops or roasting vegetables in a saute pan. When I empty that saute pan onto a platter, I take it to the sink and I run water on it. And with a big scrubby, I basically wash it immediately. And when you, when you run water onto your hot pan, things come off of it really quickly. So it's like, again, like you learn these ways to like make life more efficient and like cleaning a pan as soon as you empty it. um, I just find that it's like, it helps me keep ahead of the, of the, of the dirty dish game, you know? Yeah. I like to clean. I'm probably psychotic, but I clean literally as I go, (laughs) like every single little thing. And then when the table set, there's maybe there's the dishes we're eating on and there's maybe a couple other things that we throw in the dishwasher, but there's really not a lot of cleanup. 
Yeah, that's right. You just got to be mindful as you go through it. So that's definitely one. And then, you know, so I talked about the equipment setup, but there's also, like you said earlier, the pantry setup. It's like, you know, setting up your pantry for success, like having, you know, you have a, a, a world of flavors in spices and a world of flavors in, in herbs and your basic, you know, garlics and gingers and onions um, and, you know, and the beans. And I always have like a piece of like pancetta in my, you know, there's like a dairy. One of my drawers in, in my um, refrigerator is filled with Parmesan and Pecorino and uh, pancetta and anchovies and, and these really these building blocks of flavor. And, you know, once you have once you have your tools in place and once you have your pantry in place, everything becomes tastier and a whole lot easier. Do you usually approach meals of kind of I'm having a protein and a vegetable type of thing? Or are you making more complicated recipe type meals? During no, the it's pretty much that simple. I mean, we always have some small amount of, of, a, of a protein and it's alongside one or two veggies, you know, in the spring and summer, there's a little bit more raw salads on our table um, than, you know, this time of winter where it's like, I mean, last night we literally made, you know, we, we buy this really nice local grass-fed beef and I pan sauteed some hamburgers with melted cheese next to a bunch of sauteed Swiss chard. And uh, last night was Valentine's Day, so I stole some desserts from the restaurant. So it was the rare occasion where we had some sweets at the end of our meal. But um, literally, that was our dinner. It was it was a it was a grass fed hamburger with melted cheese alongside sauteed um, Swiss chard with garlic right. and really good olive oil. And you know, it's not like it you know it doesn't blow your mind. It's not like some creative, <laughs> awesome like dance party in your mouth. But it's like that's fine because like guess what? Like every meal doesn't need to be that. Right. Yeah. What are some of the other kind of simple standbys you make on repeat aside from the green? Um, I love that do, idea. <laughs> you know, we, we have, we have a bunch and, you know, we have a bunch in rotation, but like we do a Mexican chicken soup, whereas, mm. you know, you saute some root, but you saute some veggies, you add, you know, bro we always have broth around, which I highly recommend people should have in their pantry or in their freezer, better yet. Um, uh, and we make a Mexican chicken soup with chicken thighs. We pull the meat. Um, we throw a smoked chili in there. Uh, we crush some really nice tortillas on top. So we do like Mexican chicken soup once a week. Um, what else do we do? We do like Luca-style breaded chicken, which means you put the breadcrumb in the chicken first, and then you dip it in egg, and then you mm. pan fry it. Um, so that's one of our proteins. I often do, um, at our green market in New York city, there's a, there's a Hudson Valley, um, duck farm. So we do, I do big magret breasts. We do duck frites. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fry my own French fries in olive oil and a duck breast and we'll do duck frites with a salad. Um, so there's, there's so many, there's so many random things we do. Uh, pasta, we do pasta once a week. Um, but yeah, you know, you get comfortable with your repertoire and then you just roll with it. I love how you said a couple times once a week. So it's not even, 
that you have to come up with a new menu every week. It's kind of, we have these standbys we love, and until we get sick of them, we'll just put them into the rotation and have them once a week, maybe every couple weeks. I mean, we're like that with chili. My husband loves chili and is constantly asking, are we going to have chili this week? And it's so easy. You just throw everything into a pot. Yeah, one pot meal. Yeah, one pot meal, and then we have it for lunches even the next couple days. I mean... But so flavorful and amazing at the same time. So I uh, used to think I couldn't make my own bone broth because I thought I couldn't do a lot of things. But I thought it was really hard. And then I can't remember where I learned it, but it's really not that hard, right? (laughs) It's like you put bone. This is what I do. Tell me what I do wrong. We freeze bones from we just collect them from everything we eat. And then I get a huge stock pot. I put all the bones in, I cover it with water, and I add a splash of apple cider vinegar, and then I bring it to a boil and reduce it to a simmer and leave it for 10 plus hours. And then do you do any, and that's it? Do you add mirepoix or no? No, I don't. I just, and then I strain it, obviously, and then we usually have two big mason jars of it. Um in our fridge for a while, but no, I don't add any flavors. Cause I think the person who I learned from, I'm forgetting who now was saying, don't flavor the actual broth. If you want to use it in a bunch of stuff, keep hmm. save the flavor for later, but tell me how you would do it differently. How, how do you make, broth? I mean, you said it exactly right. Except the only thing that I do different is I add a classic mirepoix. So I'm going to put towards the end of the cooking, I'm going to put uh, carrot celery, fresh carrot, celery, and onion, uh, a few bay leaves and some peppercorns, and, you know, maybe a head of garlic or not, uh, you know, some fresh herbs if I have them hanging around. But but I, I, I always add a layer, you know, sometimes a can of tomato. Like the, the broth that I grew up on that is now called hearth broth at Brodo and the broth I've been using at, at this restaurant for the last 18 years um, – it has tomato product and mirepoix. And I find that it's just very layered and it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great base for any soup you want to make. You could also just drink it on its own, or you could cook pastina in it, or you could cook escarole in it, or you could boil some tortellini in it. And it's like, when you have a flavorful broth, it's so easy to take it one step further to create a meal. It's like insane. Hmm. Okay. So yes, now I'm getting on board with this because our broth is very, if you just sip it by itself, it's very bony. Yeah. If you know what I mean? So it's not great for sipping. And I do miss sipping your broth as I used to do all the time in New York. You you have to build some, you gotta, yeah, I I would recommend getting some mirepoix and maybe a little tomato product and some bay and peppercorn in there. I mean, it's a very traditional way. It's not like some secret algorithm I have to make it broth. But, um, you know, one of the mistakes a lot of people make, especially since kind of bone broth has come onto the scene, this notion of bone broth, it's like many people believe that you go buy clean cow bones, like marrow bones, right? Which is the femur. It's got no meat on the bone. Mm. So it's like a clean white bone that has marrow inside, which is all fat. And you fill up a pot with these white bones filled with marrow and you boil it for, you know, 10 or 12 or, you know, 24 hours. 
And the resulting liquid from that, I find to be kind of gross and unpalatable. I mean, over, you know, the minerals come out of the bone in a way that's not tasty and the fat gets emulsified in and you have no, like, there's no meat anywhere. There's no connective tissue anywhere. There's no mirepoix or, or thought around herbs or spices. And like you end up with like a, a liquid that maybe has some nutrition in it, but it's kind of unpalatable. And it's you're missing the whole point, I think, of like the notion of investing time to cook things. It's like at the end of it, you shouldn't have to hold your nose to consume it because you're after some function. I think mm. I think a lot of us have gotten things a little bit backwards and like we forgot that food and cooking should be you know a a source of joy and and wonderful flavor and it's like you know good health doesn't come from you know a a function labeled powder that you mix with water Mm -hmm. um and uh, and i'm so baffled by like the health and wellness community's obsession with like powdered this or powdered that or you know some kind of like dust that's shelf stable that's gonna that you want to consume because it's gonna help your metabolism it's like that's not the way our bodies are built you know it's like food food is a complex system and our bodies are complex systems and they work they work you know um, they work together to get nutrients into, you know, the way we absorb nutrients, the way our systems break down nutrients, to think that we could distill things down into shelf-stable powders and combine them with water because it's convenient, to think that that's a driver of health is just so backwards. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. Also, I think just our societal obsession with superfoods yeah. So there's always a new superfood, right? But yeah, it's kind of silly. It is silly. And then I'll have clients who will say something like, Oh, you're going to hate me, but I don't like kale. I'm like, No, I don't hate you. That's fine. And they'll yeah, say, well, right. well, but I know I'm supposed to eat kale. And I say, No, you don't have to eat kale. You can eat so many leafy greens that you yeah. enjoy. I would actually rather that you never eat kale if you don't like kale, because then you're going to dread eating which you should never do right you should be eating things you enjoy just like you said right um and i'm glad you made that point what about so you mentioned uh frying the fries last night in extra virgin olive oil do mm-hmm. you cook exclusively with extra virgin olive oil um yeah and butter and lard you know like i'm, okay. I'm a big I'm a big fan of, you know, as we speak, I'm I'm in my kitchen at hearth, we're grinding some um, 100% grass fed beef fat. um, And we're using it to fry our meatballs. And the fat has a beautiful orange hue to it. And um, so yeah, our kitchen here at hearth and at home is probably 85 to 90% uh, olive oil. And the remainder is a combination of like animal fat and um, butter and ghee. What about, we have some ghee oh, as well. ghee. What about the myth that circulates that you can't cook with olive oil because it doesn't have a high enough smoke point? You know, I think there's a fair amount of real research out there that says that that's kind of bogus. 
And like smoke point is a bad indicator of whether it's, um, you know, healthy or unhealthy. And, and look, olive oil, you know, getting oil from an olive is very easy to do, meaning the process to extract that oil is very minimal. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this, this idea that, you know, extracting oil from a tiny seed and that extraction requires chemical solvents and high heat. Um, I don't, you know, I, I kind of, I, I'm hard pressed to believe that that oil is better than an oil from an olive that you just press it and you get this beautiful polyphenol rich, uh, you know, antioxidant rich oil that's very minimally processed. I'll choose that any day of the week. And that's another simplification. If there's someone who has 10 oils in their cabinet, you know, and then that's decision fatigue of, you know, like, oh, what even oil do I use? Just get olive oil. Just keep yeah, olive totally. Oil. I mean, I don't have a ton of oils. I have olive oil and I have butter and I have ghee. That's it. Makes right. it easy. And it, for a while we had coconut oil. I think I was baking more and we had avocado oil, but even then... I just like a very simple, clean line kitchen. And I was like, nope, yeah. you know what? We don't need all these things. We just need olive oil. And just even that one tiny change has simplified things. And you just know what your go-to is. You know what you're going to grab. There's, like you said, all these tiny, tiny little things that you learn along the way that make cooking for you easier in your kitchen. It may be different for someone else. Um, I know another thing for me is I love having clean counters as in I don't like a lot of clutter or gadgets yes. on my counters and I've totally. learned that about myself I don't like cooking in a kitchen if there's like a toaster a blender an instapot oh my and gosh, all these yes. things out like I need my space to spread out and I want to be able yeah I want to just be able to wipe it clean yep. and I challenge people you know if you don't enjoy cooking in your kitchen maybe take a look around. I mean, does it look like this beautiful chef's kitchen that's inviting and you have all this space or does it look like it's cluttered and you were bringing up the uh, cutting board the size of your iPhone? I mean, maybe you, you have a space that's barely any bigger than that to do all your prep work and that's sure. claustrophobic. That's not enjoyable. Yeah. But, you know, urban centers like Manhattan, you know, kitchens tend to be really small and like True. Before, before we moved... Uh, uh, to Yonkers, you know, our kitchens in New York City were not these big, you know, the kitchen I'm in now, I love. And, but, you know, so I hear you, though I'm fearful that people will point to their small kitchen as an excuse not to cook. And again, like, I think, I think that if you're smart and thoughtful about, you know, use utilizing what you have, there's always a way to do it. And I got to tell you, like, some of my early apartments when I was living in the East Village, I would I would turn out some incredible meals with like little tiny four burner magic chefs and not a whole lot of room. You just need to be more thoughtful. I agree. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I also lived 12 years with the smallest kitchens in the world in New York. And I still found cooking enjoyable. It so was just enjoyable. more... I mean, at the time, our dishwasher didn't work. And so we just would put 
gadgets in the dishwasher just to get them off the counter. Or we would use it for food storage because we barely had any pantry space. So it was just being creative with the space we had so that even if it was small, it still felt inviting to want to chop something. Yeah, totally. No, I get it. You're preaching what to if- fire. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I think we have a lot in common for sure. Uh, aside from the fact that you are being a trained, incredible chef and I am not that, but <laughs> I can aspire. I can aspire. Um, what if somebody thinks that they don't like vegetables? I hear that sometimes. What are some tricks you have? You mentioned olive oil and garlic for sauteing, but any other yeah. tricks you have for making vegetables incredible? You know, Salt and vinegar is a fame is a is a favorite potato chip for a reason. Um, mm. You know when you when you start to when you start to play around with seasoning and play around with acidity, you could really kind of like find these bliss points yourself in your own kitchen. And like one of my favorite kind of you know it makes people scratch their head, but like one of my favorite things to do in the summer when there's a lot of, uh, when there's abundant local vegetables around is basically chop them up, boil them in salted water until they're just soft and then strain them. And when they're really hot and steamy, you, you season them with salt and vinegar, and then you put good olive oil on them and maybe like a fresh soft herb, like basil or parsley. And, and it's incredible. So I think, I think acid and salt done right will make anything taste pretty damn good. And that's like the secret, right? Of restaurant food. Usually there's quite a bit of salt that we're not using in our homes. Would you say is, or you're knowing how to use it better or knowing how to use it better. I mean, I think people are afraid of salt. I think, I think, you know, I, I think (laughs) compared to the world of fast food and compared to the world of packaged goods, I think, we're, we're overplaying like the dangers of salt. I think that if you use a good mineral rich salt and you're cooking yourself, you could season that thing to your liking and not need to worry about overdoing it with salt. I think if you are, you know, have any level of activity in your life, um, and especially if you're cooking at home, I think it's unfounded to be worried about salt intake. I think that's a great point of there's so much salt in the food that we're ordering from, like you said, fast food or packaged food, but it's really great when you're able to cook and use salt liberally, whether you're salting water or using or a, a steak. Salt. I mean, God, the, amount steak. Of steak, the amount of salt I pour on a steak when I cook it at <laughs> home, it's like everybody winces like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? Cause it's only on the outside by the way. And a lot of it falls off when you cook it. So yeah. Right. And then there's, you know, again, it's like, tricks of the trade that you learn only by doing like you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to just get in there and play around and look, some people like things, you know, I'm a salt fanatic. Like I, I lean towards heavily seasoned things that have a lot of acid, but you know, that's not for everybody. A lot of people think it's too much and that that's fine. I mean, that's the other wonderful thing about controlling your own destiny by cooking for yourself. It's like, you get to do it to your own palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you learn over time, even what that palate is, the more you experiment. For sure. 
I would love if you could talk a bit about Hearth and Brodo and your new online ambition with Brodo. Um, so, you know, God, Brodo started as like a little tiny window out of the back door of Hearth. And I was pouring hot broth into coffee cups and selling it as a sipping beverage. And, um, you know, that was six years ago now. And since then, um, you know, we've created a bit of a broth beast. Um, we have brodo.com, which we ship frozen broth nationally. Um, we have four shops throughout the city. Basically, the four corners of Manhattan are covered. We have a place in the Upper West, Upper East, West Village, and East Village. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also, you know, we have our toe in the water of the CPG space. And, you know, we recently uh, acquired a national footprint in Whole Foods that we're really proud of. And we have wow. distribution. Um, and yeah, we're trying to grow a broth business because, you know, broth is not made traditionally anymore in the supermarket space. Like basically I would say 98% of the broth that one buys in the shelf stable shelf of a supermarket is made by dissolving, you know, a, a base, like a paste in water. And, and, you know, that's a real efficient way to make broth from a, from a business perspective, because the yields are really high and you're not boiling bones and you don't have to discard the bones. And there's a lot of, you know, like so many commercialized and industrialized foodstuffs that you find in the supermarket. They're not, they're not made the traditional way that your great grandmother made it. And I'm, I, you know, we have been, and Brodo has been on a mission to bring back traditionally made broth. Um, And, you know, we use the freezer and yes, it's expensive. And yes, the margins are slim, but I think it's worth it. I mean, look, my restaurant at Hearth for the last 18 years, it's like what drives us is creating something that's good for the consumer's health. And it's what drives us at Brodo as well. Um, Obviously, it's a business. Obviously we need to raise money and we need to grow it and it has to make sense. It's not a, you know, 501 C three charity, but, but we definitely prioritize our customer's health. And that means that we're boiling bones and, and, and that's hard, (laughs) but, but we're really, we're really proud of it. And I think if you taste it, you know, it's like I challenge every time this comes up, I'm like, you know what? buy some Brodo and buy five other brands in the shelf stable set and, and put them next to each other and, and do a taste test for yourself. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm really proud of what Brodo is and we keep on, we keep on keeping on and, uh, having it around, you know, having it around just makes your cooking life so much easier. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, I was just thinking as you were talking about that, that somebody listening to this might have thought it was really weird that I was saying that most days of the week I would go get a cup of bone broth walking home from work and yeah. sip it. I mean, I guess that's not something that I would have ever thought to do before I tried it the first time. Um, but it is fantastic and it's such a treat. I mean, 
Well, and you know what's really wild is like in in the shop in the shop space of Brodo, um, you know, we have four base broths, right? We have a vegetarian broth that's built on seaweed and mushroom, and then we have a straight up chicken, a straight up beef, and then we have hearth broth, which is our combo, which is turkey, beef, and chicken. So we have four base broths, but then you know, we have these little buzzers and you can start buzzing in natural food stuff. So we do roasted garlic puree. We do ginger juice. We do fresh turmeric, uh, muddled parsley in a mortar and pestle. Um, we do, a ver- you know, various spice mixes, um, uh, a various fats. So we have, you know, grass fed butter. We have ghee. We have coconut oil. We have extra virgin olive oil. And when you start thinking about the fats on top of the spices, on top of the herbs, on top of these aromatic vegetables like garlic and ginger and turmeric, you really create an incredible palette of flavor and texture that you buzz into these hot broths. And and all of a sudden you have a real nice offering of of different um you know flavor profiles that are built on top of these hot cups of broth and it it starts to feel very coffee like and um it's just really fun and super healthy so yeah so good I, I miss it so much honestly but i'm happy now that you're expanding and bringing broth across the country is it west coast whole foods yet or still east coast no we're we're yeah we've gone national with whole foods so you should oh, be amazing. Able to see us Awesome. I can't, yeah. I'm going to look for that immediately. Um, well, I am just so grateful. I could honestly talk to you forever, but um, I would, I ask each of my guests a final question, which is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, wow. That's a pretty broad. Uh, it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like to really get you. you know, look, I, I, I want to bring up this idea of priorities, right? It's like, I I think one of the things COVID did, and and I think that we're trending this way, is like prioritizing yourselves, you know, your your well-being. And and that's that's a pretty big, broad statement. But, you know, I think food is very much at the core of that. And the decisions we make, um, you know, the, the... this idea of putting stuff into your mouth and into your body like that, that should require and trigger some real thought. And, and sometimes I think, again, we get caught up in convenience and, and we don't, and we don't prioritize our, our, our physiological health. And so I would say step one is, you know, think about the things that you put in your body Um, Mm. And then obviously we could start going down the rabbit hole of the sleep and the movement and the relationships. And, you know, there's all these pillars of what it means to be healthy, but as a chef and a cook my whole life, I really, I really want to encourage people to focus on the choices you make around the food and beverages that you consume daily. Yeah. I love that. Well, if somebody is interested in following you, are you, I know you're on Instagram, but will you share your social handles and websites if those are applicable? Yeah, absolutely. So brodo.com is a good place to get a lot of information about, you know, who we are, how we do what we do. And, and, you know, you could, we ship broth nationally. So that's one. And then uh, Marco Canora is my Instagram handle. 
and I try to be, I try to be, uh, active on there. You know, there's some good recipes in my, in my, um, stories, et cetera. Um, and then restauranthearth.com is, is my East village restaurant. We've been here for 18 years and that's something I'm really proud of. Like this is a tough city to kind of exist for that long in a little mom and pop shop. And like, I'm so proud of the work we do here and, and the way in which, you know, we, we purchase our food and support our farmers. And, you know, we're doing so many things that I'm so proud of. We mill our own flowers in our basement and, you know, we use grass fed beef fat for one of our cooking fats. So I think we're making a lot of good choices here at Hearth um, and Brodo. Um, so, yeah, those are the three places I would say, you know, the Hearth website, uh, Brodo.com. And then, and then I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram. Awesome. Well, I couldn't agree more with anything. Everything you just said, Hearth was one of my favorites. I live just a few blocks away and you really do feel I mean, it's such a gem in New York City. There's always new restaurants opening and closing, but yeah, new and noteworthy. Whole, it's a, it's a town obsessed with new and noteworthy. But I'm really proud of being the uh, the you know the restaurant you know the, the old worn in restaurant in the East Village. I'm super yeah, proud of that. which is incredible to still be such an establishment. It's amazing and definitely worth a visit whenever listeners are in New York. Thank you so, so much for everything you shared with us today. I am just beyond grateful that you gave us your time. It's my pleasure. Really honored, honored to be on your podcast and let's keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. You know, we have to spread, we got to spread that word and and get people to invest in learning, uh, learning how to cook and manage their own kitchens. I I agree hundred percent. We'll both keep doing it. How about that? On opposite coasts. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.